All right, we're in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Are y'all there? All right, Isaiah, chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we have many things that you are doing in our midst and we thank you for them. We pray for the kids' Christmas drama coming up that you would bless it. Let their last few practices here go well. Uh, help them to memorize their lines. We pray as family come and friends come next week, Lord, that they would hear your gospel and respond in faith to it. Lord, we thank you that we can take this time of year to celebrate the birth of your son. We thank you for Jesus, for it's in him we have life. Lord, we thank you that we can even uh, take a Sunday and, and do something a little different by having the choir up here and, and using their, their gifts and talents um, to glorify you, God. We pray you'd bless us now as we continue on. We thank you that you are present with us here and forevermore. You truly are the glorious one, and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is probably a familiar passage for many of you. If you've grown up in church at all, you've probably heard at least portions of this passage read time and time and time again. We're going to look at a little bit of it today, but I want to start with the question for you. Who does this passage refer to? Jesus. All right, good job. It's not the quiz week, though, that I talked about, all right? <laughs> How do we know this? Oh, now y'all so, so quick to respond, huh? Like the scriptures point to it, right? It reveals to, it reveals to us and points to Jesus as we find out who fulfills this prophecy. Jesus, right? The New Testament writers write that down to reveal it for it. Let me, let me ask this question. What is it about a baby born 2,000 years ago that still turns the world upside down today? And if you just think about it, I'm always amazed, like, believers and unbelievers alike, whenever there's an issue, it can be a social issue, it can be a political issue, it can be a cultural issue, and these days those are usually all conjoined together. Um, but whatever the issue is, when people are trying to win the argument on one of those finer points, it seems like Jesus always gets brought into the equation, right? 
and he gets, he gets quoted. Even when um, President Biden a couple months ago passed the executive order for giving student debt, I mean, people were quoting Jesus in different passages of Scripture regarding different parables or things that he did to either support it or argue against it. Even when marriage is up for debate and what marriage truly is, Jesus is brought into the equation. Jesus was an illegal immigrant in Egypt, right? Therefore, illegal immigration is okay. That's arguments that are used. But here's the thing. Without fully realizing it, people acknowledge that what Jesus has to say is really important. And they realize that he kind of has the final word on things. Um, And here's the thing. If he really said something or really believed something, then we as believers, what are we called to do? Obey it, right? We're called to believe it. We're called to follow whatever he says to do. We do whatever he says not to do. We don't do. So here in the passage of Isaiah, God has revealed through the prophet Isaiah, like what is going to come to pass. And we see, and hold your finger in this place because we're going to come back to it, but we see an interesting um, passage in Amos. So turn to Amos, if you will, because I want you to see this for yourself. Amos chapter 3. And here's what we see in Amos chapter 3. I just want you to see this verse uh, here in verse 7. It says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So in the Old Testament, the prophets were the spokesmen for God. He would reveal his truth to them. They would go and prophesy to the people. Now this verse has been abused so much um, today, I won't even go into the many different examples uh, it hasn't been abused as much um, once COVID hit since um, no prophet apparently saw that coming and prophesied about it. Just saying. But the point is this. In the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets when he was about to do something big. And he let them know that something was coming. And by way of extension, he let us know that something was coming. You can think of even something like Jonah with Nineveh, right? Destruction is coming. He sends Jonah. Jonah. The captivity with Israel and Judah. I mean, how many times is the northern kingdom and southern kingdom warned as to what is going to happen if they don't repent? Right? On and on and on. But even in the midst of these kind of warnings of different cataclysms that could be occurring, will occur without repentance, what are other things that we're seeing? Is that God is showing us what he's about to do, and he's about to step into history himself to save a people for his own. Even if you think of like the feasts for a moment, God institutes feasts going all the way back to the Passover. Those point toward that which lies ahead. The feasts aren't just feasts for themselves. They point to that which lies ahead and to something greater. But think about that for a moment. Even if you just think of that for a second, like God institutes feasts, like what does that tell us about God? You ever thought about that? Like, sometimes we just, we, we feel like we have to drag through the Old Testament because we're just like, oh man, this is it's like, like law after law after law after law. You know how many laws there are in the Old Testament? 613, all right? You can go count them if you want. But it can feel like it drags on. But here's the thing, it, it can sometimes feel like it drags on because we're not actually seeing things that are right there in the text for us to see, and we're not trying to make Uh, an understanding of ourselves of who God is revealing himself to be to us. Something as simple as the feasts, which are talked about, but just think about that. What does that tell us about God? Like he's a God who likes to celebrate, right? 
I mean, could he have instituted laments instead of feasts? Yes. Does he do that? No. Okay? Even with the Passover and the lamb being sacrificed, what's going on? Hey, man, they're eating food. Now, it's not the greatest food, right? Because it's like, you got to make it without this, and it's got to have this, right? Um, but here's the thing. God is doing something. We have feasts to show just something like that reveals a little bit about the heart of God in regards to how he wants us to understand him and how we, he wants to see certain things like with the feasts. What are they pointing to? We're going to look at that in a little bit. But here's my question for us. Why do so many like miss it? We read this passage back in Isaiah. Why do so many people miss the obvious thing that that is pointing to Jesus coming into our midst? Like, why do so many people miss it today? Well, here's the thing. Why did you miss it? Like, all of us got saved at some point. If you're a believer, like, you got saved at some point. But for until whatever point that was, like, you missed it, right? Like, how old were some of y'all when you got saved? Not a rhetorical question. I'm actually looking for some answers. Eleven, seven, four. 28. Okay, the rest of y'all aren't saved, apparently. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I got saved when I was 18, all right? 18 years old. But guess what? What was happening for those first 17 and a half plus years? Like, I was missing it, right? I was missing it. There it is in our midst. So for some of us, like, why did you miss it might help reveal why other people are missing it around us. Like, for me... Like, I had all the head knowledge. Like, all the head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. Think about the Pharisees. Like, all the head knowledge, right? But no heart knowledge. Now, the difference between me and the Pharisees, they, they were actually at least trying to live according to the external law. They were just going through routines and motions. I, I personally, at the time, really didn't care much about it. But for each person, it can be a little different why we miss it. For me, it was about putting uh, myself number one and number two and number three and number four and anything else that I thought was important. God wasn't even in the top ten. I believed in, in, in God and even would have said I believed in the scriptures. I believed in the heaven and the hell. I believe Jesus died on a cross, but not in any type of way that would have ever saved me. It was all here, all in the head. There has to be transformation. Like when God regenerates a person, it's from the inside out. And we can know a whole lot of things about a whole lot of, a lot of stuff, but that doesn't do us any good. We can go read some of the most amazing works from antiquity all the way down until to now, and that information is just information unless it comes and changes us. So when we're talking about like a saving faith, like God calls us to trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. God says, apart from his son, there is no forgiveness of sins. God says, unless you have Jesus, you don't have the Father. If you want the Father, you have to have the Son. If you want eternal life, you have to have the Father and the Son. They're like a package deal, and guess what? The Holy Spirit's there as well. They're working together, the triune God, to do his work in your life. So we see something like the incarnation, a prophecy here of the incarnation literally god in the flesh that's what the word incarnation means so this child here is god himself is there any other way look back at the isaiah passage 
Is there any other way to read this verse? No. Like literally his name, his name shall be called. And what's one of his names? Mighty, what? Mighty God. Now if you're, you know, God would not just call someone mighty God unless they were mighty God, right? Right? So the title is Mighty God. That says something huge to us. The child will be none other than God himself. And think about this. God always is the initiator. He's always the initiator. Think of the garden. Adam and Eve sin. What does God do? He goes to them. What does he do? He provides animal skins. He's always the initiator. What does he do? He promises the deliverer. He's always the initiator. He looks down, he sees man in sin. What does he do? He initiates. He initiates. And here, too, even in this verse, what's the very last part of the last verse I read? The zeal in verse, in verse uh, 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So God himself is going to bring this to pass. He's the initiator. He's the one that's always working. So when we start talking about like Christmas and celebrations and observances, like the early church pretty quickly on started celebrating the resurrection. We call it Easter today. Uh, but they pretty quickly started celebrating the resurrection annually. Not quite as quick with the birth of Jesus. It took probably at least a couple hundred years for that to become more of a widespread common occurrence. But here's the thing. Like the gospel writers... I've been, I've, been, I, I've been reading the, uh, the accounts of, of Jesus' birth this past week. Um, the gospel writers spend too much time on it to be of, of little significance. Like, it's kind of a big deal that God is coming in the flesh. Right? So Matthew spends quite a bit of deal on it. Luke spends quite a bit of deal on it, right? God coming in the flesh is a big deal. The virgin birth, that's kind of a big deal. So if, if we pause and want to commemorate that once a year, um, there's nothing wrong with that. The Protestant Reformation, when, you, when that comes around, you know, in the 1500s, um, at the time the Protestant Reformation occurs, there's all sorts of saint days going on, all sorts of celebrations. Um, in fact, yesterday, um, if you're Catholic, was um, the, the day of Our Lady of Loretto. Today is St. Damasus. Tomorrow is Our Lady of Guadalupe. The day after that is St. Lucy. The day after that is St. John the Cross, and on and on and on, literally. So the, the, the reformers were like, hey, let's cut this back a little bit. Let's kind of rein this in. So they came down with, with five church days, or, or five holy days, and all of them are centered on Christ. They wanted the focus to be there. So they saw what well, we also see, see, that there's nothing wrong with commemorating major events in the New Testament regarding Jesus. Again, the virgin birth, that's pretty major. Jesus' resurrection, that's pretty major. So for them, the five events, Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost. That's, that was the five. This meant, you know, other feasts and holidays and uh, saints were kind of put to the side, all right? Even the Feast of St. John's Fingerbone. <clears throat> but why anchor it to Jesus? 
because they wanted to focus on him and on him alone. One of the cries of the Reformation, sola Christus. Sola Christus. It's pretty easy, the translation, even if you don't know Latin. What is it? Christ alone, all right? So that was the heartbeat of the Reformation. It's about Jesus, so let's make sure the focus is there even when it comes to the, to the church calendar. Now, some of this I've shared before, but if you've ever um, heard anything said about the history of Christmas, you've probably heard something like this. The Romans had a seven-day festival in winter called Saturnalia. It started on December 17th. It was thoroughly pagan with all sorts of immorality. The Roman emperor marked the end of the winter solstice by having a feast to Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun. Uh, the Christians wanted to make Christianity more palatable to the Romans and more popular with the people, so they put the celebration of their Savior close to that day, December 25th. So it started as a copycat of a pagan holiday. That is simply not true. It's simply not true. It is interesting. Liberals and conservatives, uh, unbelieving and believing historians and theologians, acknowledge it's not accurate. What is accurate is, is the reverse. The Christians had already started honoring and celebrating the birth of Christ, and then one of the emperors, likely Aurelius, came in and didn't like that at all. Very hostile to Christianity. And so he is the one that brought in the substitutes. He's the one. So sometimes you see videos, even today, like, I remember when I first got saved, it's like, why Christians shouldn't celebrate Christmas, you know? So you click on the video or whatever. I mean, some of them are using evidence that's like 10 to 20 years behind the times and that no one even thinks is accurate anymore. I feel like, I feel like Christians sometimes end up falling into that. Even some Christians who argue for evolution, I mean, they're using arguments that even evolutionists have, have admitted in the last 10 to 20 years aren't legitimate arguments. So it's kind of like if you're going to do your research and do your homework, I mean, at least be up to date on what's going on and what is, what is considered accurate and knowledgeable. But just think about this. Like, the early Christians, they wanted nothing to do with any paganism whatsoever. I mean, you ever read the New Testament? You think, I mean, do you think there's any type of syncretism going on? Now, sometimes Paul is combating some of that, even in the book of Colossians that we're going through. But the, but, the, but the Christians didn't want anything to do with the pagans. They were concerned about meat being sacrificed to idols in 1 Corinthians, right? And they're concerned about what message that might send if you're just eating the meat. Not that you're at the temple, but you're just eating meat. You didn't even know a sacrifice to the idol, maybe. Do you think they'd really take like an entire pagan holiday and then just prance around calling that Jesus' birthday? You know, think about it. Here's the thing. When we come to like different holidays or even like something like days of the week, we have to be careful with names and titles. Sometimes people get upset with um, something like Easter, the title. But we have to be careful with names and titles because like even our days of the week, they're not from uh, Latin or Greek words. They're really of a Norse influence. So you take a day like Wednesday. I mean, it was Woden's day. Wednesday. Thursday. Any guesses? Hey, look at that. Thor's day. Friday, Freya's day. So we can still call those days by those names. 
but when I say like, hey, I'll meet you for lunch on Thursday, I'm not saying, hey, I'll meet you for lunch on Thursday and we'll eat our food in his honor. I mean, right? It, it doesn't even come to your mind. Now it might, now that I've drawn your attention to it, but... <laughs> Even, like, someone like St. Nicholas, like, he, he kind of goes back a long way. If you've ever, like, looked into it, he kind of morphed into Santa Claus. But the, the original St. Nicholas, there actually was a guy, St. Nicholas, a godly man known for his generosity to children. You all know what St. Nick's Day is on the calendar? December 6th. Remember, but we're not doing the saints, right? <laughs> but he actually attended the Council of Nicaea. Back in 325 A.D., actually, there's like a, a, a rumor that he punched the heretic uh, Arian in the face, or Arius in the face. Hopefully that's true. <laughs> but in the medieval period is where we get Christmas by its current name. That's really where we get it being used by that word. Some people object to it because they just don't like that, those last three letters, the M-A-S, mass, right? Mass, because of what it means. Well, actually, that term Christmas came before the Mass had its meaning regarding the transubstantiation of Christ and communion and all those different things. So the word Christmas actually predates what Mass came to be. Really, that word just came because um, probably within about 100, 200 years, you could still probably call it the early church, um, they got to a point where only people that were going to be able to partake in communion were allowed to continue to remain in the service. So if there's still people that had either recently been saved or still being brought to like a, almost like a new members class, um, they were actually asked to leave, and the Latin would be ita missis est, which just meant you may go now. But that miss, uh, that's where we get our word dismissed, but that word is where we get the mass. That's really where it comes from is the mass. Now, I did a dissertation, um, my one and only dissertation, on the Puritans, and the short title is, I just tell people, it's Puritan Marriage Customs. But here, what I was surprised to see when I was doing my research on Puritan Marriage Customs, I was surprised to see the pushback by some of the Puritans, especially in early America, against Christmas. But the reason for their pushback was because of what Christmas had turned into, it had turned into a day of revelry and drunkenness. Um, the, the first governor uh, at Plymouth Rock, William Bradford, he saw some people taking off on Christmas Day, and he actually scolded them and rebuked them for it. So you see this pushback by some of the American Puritans, especially on the, um, the way that Christmas was celebrated. You could actually be fined in early America for celebrating Christmas. Yeah, it's like five shillings. So it really wasn't until about 150 to 200 years later where, um, and that's where Charles Dickens, what is he trying to do? He's probably trying to do a couple different things, kind of a social commentary on life at, at the time where he lived. But part of it was trying to bring back that true meaning of Christmas, if you will. He was trying to bring it back from the revelry and drunkenness that it had become. Now, do we have overconsumption and revelry um, Around the holidays? Yeah. Is there overconsumption? Yeah. Um, Americans do a great job of spending money, right? And we have like this magic um, piece of plastic in our wallets that allows us to buy anything we want, right? Like we just take it out and uh, you used to swipe it, now you insert it, and now sometimes neither of those work and you got to use your Apple Pay or something. But the point is, um, if we want it, 
we buy it, right? And we'll figure out how to pay for it later. And, you know, we just hear terms like billions and trillions thrown around, you know? Um, like Elon Musk, he just bought Twitter, whatever, about a month ago for like, what, 44 billion? Like those numbers, we just hear, it, it, it bothers me that we just hear those numbers thrown around. I think our national debt, depending on how you figure it out, because I know di numbers different and people argue what's the true national debt, but I think it just hit like 30 trillion. Now do you realize that if you went back to the day Jesus was born, okay, and you spent a million dollars every single day from the day Jesus was born until today, you still would not have spent a trillion dollars. Okay, so that should give you at least kind of the scope of how big a trillion is. Here's the thing. Um, I saw someone on, on Facebook the other day arguing about the different holy days and Christmas, and, and we shouldn't be celebrating that because it's not, it's not a feast day. It's not a feast day. We should be celebrating the feasts. Well, I mean, I guess if that's the case, to be consistent, like you shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving and July 4th and, and different things like that. But here's the thing. The Old Testament feasts, like I said before, they point to Christ, right? So the major festivals, some of you might know them, um, some of them for sure. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths. Like, do those sound like they point to Christ, like Passover, right? Um, the Day of Atonement, even the Feast of Weeks with Pentecost, like they point to Christ. So we could go through, and it's pretty cool if you do it, you could go through, we could go through each one of those and see how they point to Christ. But here's the thing, um, those are what we would call types, all right? And the type points to the antitype. And when the antitype arrives, the type is no longer needed. Okay, look at Colossians, and I'll explain this just, just a little bit so you understand it better. But I want you to see this here in Colossians. All right, Colossians chapter 2 says in verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And then look what it says, brothers and sisters, verse 17. These are what? A shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay? So that's the idea of this type. It's a, it's a type of the things to come. A type of the things. So if you think of uh, for a moment, like, so in the Bible, an antitype is a fulfillment or completion of an earlier truth revealed in the Bible. Usually the types, they are pointing to something. In this case, to Christ. One example of a type would be Adam, right? In fact, Corinthians, we're not going to look at it, but Corinthians, you can, you can at least jot it down. 1 Corinthians 15, what is, what is Jesus called in 1 Corinthians 15? He's called the second what? He's called the second Adam, right? So you had the first Adam, which was Adam, but then Jesus is the second Adam. You have a, a pretty clear picture there of the type, Adam, pointing to the antitype, Jesus. All throughout Scripture, we have types and antitypes. Even if you think of, like, for example, the, the bronze serpent in the wilderness. Remember the story? Right? Israelites have sinned. God tells Moses, take this bronze serpent and, and put it up. And if they get bitten and then look at the serpent, what happens? 
They live, right? Well, well then look at this in John chapter 3. Because you're going to be like, huh, I don't know if I ever saw that before entirely. But look at John chapter 3. It's right before one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. Here's what Jesus says, John chapter 3, verse 14, John 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So that, that serpent on that, on that pole, right? They, they get bit, they're going to die. What happens when they look to it? Life. It's the type. And here, Jesus, these are Jesus' own words, right? Hey, just like that, that that's me now. You've got to look who? To Jesus if you want what? You want eternal life. That whoever believes in me, verse 15, may have eternal life. So all the way back, not just when Isaiah was prophesying, but before that, God put in plan a motion. His plan was to come in the flesh and rescue us. He even promises that to Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis 3. Through your seed, you will conquer. So the plan started way before God ever stepped into human flesh at his birth. But his being born signaled the beginning, really, of that fulfillment. And God's been working that plan for millennia. And here today, he is still at work. You know, next week we have our children's play with the outreach. Like, God's still working, amen? He's still working in our midst. And we're going to have family and friends here who don't know Jesus. Please, 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 until, until, from now until then, during the service, while I'm preaching next week, like, be praying for people's hearts to be opened. People need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus, right? Two, I just want to encourage you to like use the opportunities you get this Christmas season or any time of the year, but this Christmas season to share with people. I got like an email from uh, Spectrum the other day. Like our internet had been dropping in and out, but that just seems like that happens to everybody, so I didn't think it was a big deal. But they like personally sent me an email. I kind of felt important. Um, and they're like, we need to come to your house because like we can tell there's problems with your internet. So anyway, they, they, send, uh, they send the guy out, and he's in my basement, and he's working on the modem and different things. And I'm just like, this guy is in my house, right? Like, he's come onto my territory, so to speak. <clears throat> and he has to at least fix that modem before he can get out of here. <laughs> so I've got a captive audience, right? Literally. <clears throat> but, like, I mean, I just, I just use it as an opportunity to share with him. And here's the thing, like, there's different ways, there's, you know, there's great books out there on how to share your faith and different approaches you can take, and um, I've, I've used all of them and still do at different times, but in this particular case, like, I just share my testimony with him of how God changed my life, and then what I try to do with that, because I feel like today in our, in our secular culture, people can be like, well, that's great for you, right? Um, then I try, to, I try to be like, and this is a message that God has for everyone, and where are you at? with Jesus, you know, so then I try to make it personal, but as I'm sharing my testimony, like, it's hard to, like, get upset about a testimony, really, I'm sure someone out there does, but, like, I'm just sharing, like, what God's been doing in my life, and how he changed my life, I mean, and, and you could tell that, that this young man was locked on to the message, he was locked on to the message, and I think sometimes we get so concerned about the one out of maybe 50 or 100 that are going to freak out, 
that we don't share with the other 49 or 99 that really God's been prepping and have brought into our midst to hear that message. So I encourage you, as we get those opportunities, if we're going to pray for opportunities, if we're going to pray for God to do his work, if we're going to acknowledge that the harvest is plentiful, but the harvesters are few, like let's be harvesters, let's look for those opportunities. And look, I don't know, people get saved, like people get saved all the time, right? Like all the time. And I believe that there are people that I shared with, like last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that they weren't saved at the time. But I believe they're saved now. But I didn't see them get saved. But I believe that, that God used me in whatever small part he wanted to, to be one small piece of that puzzle that God was putting together to bring them to a place of acknowledging him as, 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 as the Savior. So, like, we just need to play the part and the role that God has us to play. Some of us, like, we're the gardeners and we're just, we're sowing seeds, right? We're sowing the seeds. And even when I think back on my salvation, like, I can't necessarily point to, oh, it was this person who came and no one else had any role whatsoever. Like, I could probably point to at least 10 people and probably 15 or 20 people that were instrumental in my salvation. And I've gone to them at various times over the past 20 years and thanked them for the role that they played. But many people played a role in getting me to the point of bending the knee to Jesus. Well, guess what? Like, we're probably playing roles in different people's lives. Sometimes we see it and sometimes we just don't. Not this side of eternity. But let's be faithful to play that role. Like, we have the greatest thing ever. We have Jesus himself. Jesus himself. And yesterday, uh, my daughter Trinity and I, we were driving um, to a basketball game, and we started talking about, we, act, we started talking really about just hell, not heaven and hell, we just started talking about hell, and she was at, I mean, we were kind of talking back and forth, and she was asking questions like, like, what are the descriptions that we see in the New Testament, and she was asking questions about, like, I mean, people are really there, like, eternally suffering, you know, and, I mean, I was dwelling on it, and I was just like, and then for just a moment, I don't even think she caught it, but I got like a little choked up because I'm like, dude, that is, like sometimes that reality just hits you a little bit more. And I'm like, that's a horrible thought. That millions and millions of people are in hell right now facing an eternity without God, being punished for their sins, justly there. And then it kind of, then the Lord usually takes it like one more step and he's like, okay, Mike, but there's like billions now who aren't yet there, who have the opportunity to hear the good news be saved. What are you going to do about it? Right? It's a little convicting for me, just this simple little message on the reality of hell. But that's kind of my question for, for all of us. Like, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Listen, definitely as people come into our paths, we should be looking for gospel opportunities. We either believe the reality of hell or we don't. We either believe the reality of heaven or we don't. We either believe the reality of Jesus as the Savior or we don't. And then, remember, the very first page of my sermon, what did I say? If Jesus says it, if he believes it, what are we supposed to do? Obey it, right? He says it, good enough for us. So what did he say? He said, go. What did he say? Open up your mouth. What did he say? Speak to people. What did he say? Be faithful to give them the gospel truth. So that's what we do. That's what we do. Not just like one month a year, right? All year. But it does seem people's hearts are a little bit more open. Like, I mean, you call it whatever different holidays they got trying to 
supplant Christmas right now. I mean, Christmas is the one. Even the emails I got, it seems like they started letting Christmas seep back into some of those emails, and we're off on Christmas Day. Okay, well, why? Because most people celebrate it. Seems like people, there's a better opportunity maybe. I don't know. There's always a, a great opportunity to share. But let's take advantage that people at least have their minds a little bit on the things of Christmas, right? Right? And let's, let's seize those opportunities. Let's be faithful in the small things so that we can be faithful in the Let's be faithful and let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you that you came in the flesh for us and that it is through you that we have life. We thank you, Lord, that we can sing of your praises and we can sing and sing and sing because you truly are glorious and amazing and awesome and majestic. We thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. Lord, Use us, use this church, use this drama next week to touch many, 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 many people with the gospel. Save many, 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 many of them. Whether it's next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, Lord, let us be faithful to play the role that you want us to play and to be your witnesses for your glory. Amen.